Emily and the Underground Railroad, an original story by Joan Mitchell. Emily handed the baby to Mrs. Harriman. Thank you, Emily. I don't know how I would manage without you, Mrs. Harriman said. She leaned back against her pillow, cuddling her baby against her. You've been such a good worker these past few weeks while I've been getting my strength back. Emily smiled. Helping Mrs. Harriman after her baby had been born was actually easier than being home helping Ma with the six younger children. The best part was that she was actually getting paid for her work. Ma had promised that some of that pay would go for new dresses for Emily. Now that she was 13, she had grown so much that her ankles were showing and her old dresses had no more hem to let out. The rest of her pay would have to help buy shoes for the other children. Emily knew that her family needed the money. As she picked up a basket and started to leave the room, Emily said, I'll be back soon to put little Thomas in his cradle. I'm going to gather the eggs now. Check carefully for the li that little speckled hen's nest, Mrs. Harriman said. She always likes to hide her eggs. Once I found her eggs in the apple-drying shed and once in the barn. I'll look for her, Emily promised. Outside the house, Emily paused for a moment to admire the small apple orchard that spread to the north of the main house. The trees were full in bloom now, and bright, brilliantly white in the bright spring sunshine. The rest of Mrs. Mr. Harriman's prosperous farm grew wheat, corn, and oats. Here in 1853, in West New York State, these were all important crops. In the chicken coop, sure enough, the little speckled hen was not in sight. She always appeared promptly enough when Emily fed the chickens, so she couldn't be that far away. Emily checked quickly through the barn, but could find no signs of the hen. She pushed open the door of the apple-drying shed, unused at this season of the year. In the fall, farm workers sliced and dried apples from the orchard in the shed. The drying preserved the apples from spoiling. The bottom of the shed's door was broken, and the hen could have entered through the opening. Are you hiding your eggs in here, you rascally little hen? she asked, talking to herself. Suddenly, she thought she heard something. Was that a rustling noise coming from behind those crates? As her eyes adjusted to the dim light, Emily stepped forward to look and gasped. Her heart thudded hard in her chest. She was looking straight into the eyes of a woman who was crouched down, trying to hide. The woman held her hand over the mouth of a small child she clutched to her side. The woman and the child were black. Escaped slaves, Emily mi Emily's mind screamed at her. Escaped slaves hiding right in the apple-drying shed. What should she do? The woman's eyes held hers in a silent pleading. Emily, Mr. Harriman's voice called from right outside the shed, making Emily jump. What are you doing in there? Emily made an instant decision about what she would do. She could never betray someone who needed her help the way these two people did. She called out, I'm looking for the speckled hen's nest, Mr. Harriman. Mrs. Harriman said she had found it here once. Then she whispered to the slave, Don't be afraid. I'll be back later. The woman nodded. She looked less frightened. Emily left the shed, carefully closing the door behind her. Mr. Harriman waited in front of the door. I couldn't find the nest, she said. Mr. Harriman, Mrs. Harriman suggested the barn and the shed, but it wasn't there. We'll get along with your other work, Mr. Harriman said. I don't pay you good money to lollygag around. Emily returned to the house, mechanically going through her chores. She put little Thomas to bed and returned to the kitchen. As she sliced ham for frying, made cornbread, and baked an apple pie from last year's dried apples, 
Emily kept thinking about the slave and her little girl. Emily knew that even though slavery had ended in most northern states, such as New York, the Fugitive Slaves Law that had been passed three years ago in 1850. The law said that slave hunters could come into northern states to track down runaway slaves who had escaped from plantations in the south. The hunters could find the escaped slaves, handcuff them, and take them back to their owners. Emily also knew that anyone who returned a runaway slave received a big award, big reward, while someone caught hiding or helping an escaped slave would be arrested and jailed. Just last month, a male slave had been caught in nearby Rochester and taken back in chains to his owner in Tennessee. The man who had been hiding him was in jail. To be free from capture, slaves had to go even further north than New York. They had to go all the way to Canada. That meant crossing Lake Ontario by boat. Emily had heard whispers of a group called the Underground Railroad that helped escape slaves reach Canada, but she knew no one who admitted to being part of it. How could anyone admit it when openly belonging to that group could mean prison? The Underground Railroad wasn't a real railroad, of course, as she had first thought it was. It wasn't even underground. It was just a name for people who had helped escape slaves by passing them from one spot to another. If only she could talk to Ma or Pa, but their house was seven miles away, too far to go to ask for advice. They had always said that slavery was unjust and wicked. She knew they would feel the same way she did. What could she do to help the woman and her child? After supper, Mr. Harriman announced he was going to visit a neighbor. As his horse disappeared in the distance, Emily wrapped up a slice of ham, the leftover cornbread, some cheese, and a slice of apple pie, and a small pitcher of milk. She crossed the yard to the shed, first looking carefully to make sure she was unseen. Hello, Emily said softly into the darkness inside. Are you still here? I've brought food. A shadowy figure rose from the floor. Bless you, child. We've not eaten for two days. The woman took the food eagerly, but made sure that the youngster had eaten her fill before she took a bite. Oh, this is good, Emily said. My name is Emily. What's yours? I'm Juno, and this is my daughter Pandora. She's three. The master, he named us all from some old stories he knew. Emily asked, where did you come from? A plantation in Georgia. I had to leave. The master was going to sell my Pandora. I was a house slave, and he didn't want me wasting time taking care of Pandora when I should be waiting on the mistress. Sell your baby away from you? Emily was horrified. Can he really do that? Juno laughed bitterly. The master can do anything he wants. So I left. I had to. No one is taking my baby away from me. My, ma'am, my man ran away a year ago after he was whipped. He always told me that if I got away, I should follow the drinking gourd, and I did. Emily was puzzled. The drinking gourd? You know, those stars that make up the shape of a drinking gourd with a long handle. They show you the North Star, and you follow it to go north to freedom. To Canada. She said the last word slowly, like a prayer. Oh, I've already always called it the Big Dipper. You came all the way from Georgia on foot? Emily had never been more than 25 miles from home. She had learned about Georgia in school. She couldn't imagine someone traveling all that distance on foot, carrying a small child with her. Part of the way, we got to ride in a wagon, hidden under some burlap bags. Some people, they're called the Underground Railroad, help people like me. They pass us from one to another. I got through Pennsylvania that way. Last night, I was supposed to get to another station, a safe house, but I lost my way in the dark. I ended up here on this farm as it was starting to get light. 
I thought we'd better hide before we were seen. Emily was worried. I don't know how to help you get away. I don't know where you could go to be safe. Lake Ontario is only five miles away, and Canada is on the other side. But I don't know who would take you across. Juno said softly, Emily, you've already helped us. I can't get you into trouble. We'll leave tonight, and I'll try to find the right house by myself. It's supposed to be a house made of round stones. It has white shutters and a big oak tree in the front. Emily wrinkled her forehead. A house made with round stones. That meant a cobblestone house, made from the fist-sized round stones gathered from the lakeshore and laid in rows with mortar. That might be Mr. Carpenter's house, but that's the, that's the only one near here like that, white shutters and all. But he's supposed to be a mean old grouch. I can't believe that he would risk himself to help someone else. Tell me where it is, and I'll try going there myself. I have no choice, Juno spoke with quiet dignity. No, Emily said. If Juno had the courage to come all this distance, then she, Emily, would find the courage to help. I'll see Mr. Carpenter at church tomorrow. I'll find a way to ask him if he has a safe house. You stay here another day, and I'll visit tomorrow evening. The next day, Mr. Harriman took Emily and the hired hands to church in the wagon. Mrs. Harriman was still too weak to travel. On the way, he lectured them all. I heard last night that some escaped slaves might be in the area, a twenty-year-old woman and her young daughter. There is a reward out for their capture. I don't know about slavery, one of the men said. Don't seem right owning another person. The Bible mentions slaves, Mr. Harriman answered. That makes it all right. They are valuable property, and their owner deserves to get them back. Besides, there's a federal law that says they have to be returned. Emily made herself as inconspicuous as she could in the back of the wagon. She knew Juno would get no sympathy from Mr. Harriman. After church service, Emily spotted Mr. Carpenter checking his horse's harness. She sidled over to him, making sure that Mr. Harriman was busy talking to someone else. Mr. Carpenter? Emily said. Yes, Mr. Carpenter said gruffly. He was old, with white, with, with a short white beard and an unsmiling face. Speak up, girl. Emily's voice almost didn't work because her mouth was so dry. Her stomach rolled for a moment. She felt nauseated because of the big risks she was taking. She considered leaving and letting Juno solve her own problems. After all, Emily hadn't asked to be involved. But no, she knew she could not abandon Juno, not after Juno had been so brave as to make it this far on her own. She could not let a young child be sold away from her mother. Mr. Carpenter, she said again more firmly, I am Emily Woodhall. I believe you know my parents, David and Elizabeth Woodhall. I would like to ask you a question. Supposing, just supposing, that someone knew where an escaped slave might be hiding, how would that person go about finding a safe place to take that slave? Mr. Carpenter looked at her in silence. Emily guessed that he was wondering if he could trust her the same way that she was wondering if she could trust him. Either of them would be able to have the other arrested and jailed. Well now, Emily, you have an honest face. I know your parents, and they are good people. Would this supposed slave be the... be... would this supposed slave that your supposed someone found be a woman and a child? Yes, sir, she said. Good. I have been worried about them. Can you bring them to my house tonight? At her nod, he said, I'll expect you. Back door. He walked away swiftly. That night, Emily waited until Mr. and Mrs. Harriman had been in bed for what seemed like a long time. 
She tiptoed down the stairs to the back door, holding her shoes in her hand and remembering to avoid the squeaky stop. step. She quickly slipped out into the night with the bag of food she had prepared earlier. Juno, she whispered into the shed, are you here? Yes, Emily. I was about getting ready to leave this place. My Pandora is tired of keeping quiet, and I was afraid we'd get caught. While Juno and Pandora ate hungrily, Emily explained what had happened. They were going to have to walk about four miles to Mr. Carpenter's house. Fortunately, a half moon was out, which would give them some light. It would be too risky to take a lantern. They stumbled along the road, which had deep ruts from wagon traffic. Emily slipped into the mud puddles that were all too common on the road. Her leather boots became soaked and muddy, but she knew that Juno's shoes were cracked and worn out. Juno was also carrying Pandora. If Juno could walk without complaining, then so could Emily. If someone came along, they were prepared to jump into the roadside bushes and lie flat. They knew they would hear a horse coming from a long way off. Fortunately, no one was out traveling in the dark. Finally, they came to Mr. Carpenter's house. They circled around to the back. There was no sign that anyone was awake. Emily knocked timidly at the back door. It opened suddenly, showing Mr. Carpenter holding the candle. Come in, come in, he urged, ushering them down the hall and into the sitting room. Here, he said, holding the candle to Emily. He dragged the settee to the side of the room and kicked the rug out of the way. There, previously hidden under the rug, was a metal ring set into the wooden floor. Mr. Carpenter pulled up on the ring and a trap door opened, revealing a ladder down to a small basement room. Down there, he pointed, there's a mat where you can sleep and extra candles and flint. I have a boat to Canada arranged for tomorrow. Quickly, we must have you safely hidden. Juno took a step forward. She stopped and looked at Emily. I'll never forget you, child. I'll pray for you forever. Emily's eyes filled with tears. Oh, Juno. She threw her arms around Juno and Pandora and gave them both a big hug. I'll remember you the rest of my life. On the way back to the Harriman's house, Emily was tired but jubilant. She had done it. Even though she had been afraid, she had done it. Emily managed to slip back into the house without being heard. Morning came before she was ready to get out of bed. She got through her chores that day almost by sleepwalking. Were Juno and Pandora safe, she wondered? Had the boat come? Had they reached Canada? Would she ever know? At the next week, the next week after church, Mr. Carpenter winked at Emily. That package you gave me got delivered safely, he said quietly. The best part is that she found her husband. Thanks to you, they are a family again. And thanks to you, Emily said. She knew better than to ask how many other fugitives had found shelter under Mr. Carpenter's sitting room floor. If you need help again, call on me. What had she said? Emily couldn't believe what had just come out of her mouth. After all the worry and fear, she had just volunteered to do it again. But, as she thought about it, she knew it was true. Nothing in her life had ever felt as good as knowing that she had helped rescue two lives. And she would do it again and again if she had the chance. Goodbye, Juno, she whispered. I'll never forget you.